don't go away, don't move. We have a wonderful session ahead of us where you'll find out some of how they worked that magic. Um, we've got a great panel here, uh, but first of all, I'm delighted to welcome our host for the next session, Mena Richards. Here she is. And next up, we have, I think, do we have David Earle, director? David Kerr. Yeah. David Kerr, sorry. David Kerr, director, this wonderful piece. Nikki Wilson, the producer. And we've got Helena here, Kate Kennedy. Isn't that fantastic? And finally, Russell T. Davis. Just terrific, Russell. Russell, it was. It's. It's. Oh, he's got a mic on. Have you got a mic on? I have a mic. Then I'll start with. I'll start with David. David, it, it looks absolutely beautiful. Thank and you. And I mean, that that last dance sequence is just sublime. Well, I, I used to have a full head of hair until I had to <laughs> until I had to direct that. <laughs> it was um, it was complex to say the least, but wow. It's a, it was a joy. It was an absolute joy. I hope it's a joy to watch. But it it was certainly, certainly is. A joy to direct. Um, but, you know, lots of dance scenes have, you know, a couple of people making eyes across a crowded room and they swirl around a bit and there you have it. Russell decided to write an enormous amount of story. So the challenge with that dance was just telling a hugely detailed story while also having some sort of integrity to the dance moves and covering it in a way that worked with the, the music and the, the way the verses of the music evolved as well. So, yeah, it was tricky, but what fun. Yeah. Russell, Russell's got a mic. It, oh, good. It's, I mean, it's joyful, it's smart, it's modern, it's funny, but it's quite dark at times. Yes. And that, that Theseus is a really nasty piece of work. Uh, what, 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 how did you, what kind of approach did you take? How, how does it work when you have to, you know, you've got a 90-minute television film yeah. and you've got something that fills your head for so long? Well, I kind of, I think, um, I've been thinking about this production for years because I was in it when I was a kid. And um, I actually directed it on the Sherman Theatre when I was 20, well, Sherman Arena Theatre when I was 20 on, which is kind of this production. And I, I, I love my version I did there, but the one thing that doesn't work, I thought, to explain where the darkness comes from, that I think is necessary. Um, and obviously every version is different, you don't have to do that. But Theseus, I think, is a very big problem in the play, in that he has a, a, a bride who is a prisoner of war. I wooed thee with my sword. I won thy love doing the injuries. That's a real problem. And then you're supposed to be happy for them being married at the end. And, um, and so the more I thought about that, the more I thought it needs fixing. And, and it's the men and women thing. You look at the thing, it's like men and women are at war all the way throughout the play. It, it, the, the nature is upside down because Oberon and Titania are at war. Even once you make once you make Quince, Mistress Quince, those two, are, he, she's at war with Bottom. The lovers are absolutely at war with each other and all in love with the wrong people. So it's 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 that's there's a darkness at the spine of it there. And so once you kind of take that as your starting point, you say it's winter, you know, because over on Titania are at war. The sea, it's not midsummer; it's midwinter. It's literally Titania literally says that the seasons are out of joint. So there's the darkness. It's there. You're just pulling it out the text really and. Um, and put that on, on camera and you get this beautiful, dark, midnight forest sort of stuff. So um, 
you, it's all from the script. It's it's like, and then at the end, what you the whole point of it, the whole point of my version here is that um, because men and women are at war, that was the central note, wasn't it, Nikki? That men and women, men and women are at war Back all the way through this. Yeah. So the end, then they all learn to be better at the end. Well, all the men marry the women, and the women marry the men. But the women get together with. Well, they all learn a freedom. Women get together with women. Uh, flute gets together with the guards. That's a man who was dressed as a woman falling in love with a man, and and, and everyone learns liberation. At the end, the fairies become truly magical. They've all been this dark Game of Thrones warrior types. At the end, they grow wings, and the magic comes from their fingertips. They become classical fairies because they're free. So, it's all from the text, in other words. It's like You've known the text a long time, as you said. You were eleven when mm. Swansea first saw yeah, your 20 bottom, years ago, I think. That was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? It's, Sorry. <laughs> Sw Swansea first saw your bottom when yeah. you were <laughs> and But your drama teacher was a very important influence, and she's here this evening. Yes, it, it, I was cast as bottom when I was 11, and, um, and literally this play opened my mind. To, it was my first ever school play, and you saw what drama can be, and not just Shakespeare, but drama full stop and acting, and I was directed by Cecily Hughes, who is here tonight, and there Yay. she is. <laughs> Hello, Cecily, darling. <laughs> Imagine if she died in the middle of this, that would have been terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, still, uh, still there, love. <laughs> Although it would have been a good story. If you <laughs> and I was bottom, and Helena was played by my friend Tracy, and she's over there. Hello, Yay! Tracy. Yay! But literally, you were so marvellous, Cecily Hughes. You were just a gem, because it's... It, and I'm... This is dedicated to you. You're not allowed on BBC programming like this to dedicate them to people. You're not allowed to put that on screen. Otherwise, they'd all be plastered all over the place. And that is dedicated to you, my darling. Oh. Yeah. Kate, Kate you're, you're Helena's. Um, she's funny and she's feisty. And naturally, she's, she's pretty confused by what's going on. <laughs> yeah. and a big opportunity for you, this. Was it fun? Yeah, because this was my first big telly job. I'd only have a, have a line on something else before. <laughs> and, um, not that you'd know it. <laughs> yeah, oh. well, hopefully not. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a brilliant place to learn everything. Like, with everyone else was just so amazing and experienced. I was seriously lucky, yeah. And Nikki, you've got a great cast together uh, and special effects, CGI, costumes, design. I mean, a really, really impressive combination of skills and really skilled craftspeople. Yeah, I mean, we were really lucky to, to sort of draw on the talents that already exist around Rothlock through um, Doctor Who. So a lot of, the, a lot of the, the crew and the production team came from Doctor Who. And so it was brilliant to be able to kind of bring their skills that, have been, you know, they've been building up over 10 years of Doctor Who and, and bring them to this, this brilliant production. And we, we must say something about the music. Which was, oh, as you, you mentioned it, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, pff, I, it blew me away. I think Murray's here. I mean, when we... Uh, Where's Murray? Where's Murray? You know, Where's Murray? Often... Hooray! I think often uh, when, you're, when you're editing a, a film, a TV show, you put temp music in, and sometimes you sort of fall in love with the temp music, and then the composed stuff comes in, and you kind of go, oh... Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> Can we not get the temp licensed? Isn't there some way? Surely. But, you know, honestly, Murray has just elevated so many of the scenes with his amazing music and, and turned so many corners because there are a lot of, you know, tricky tones to strike, I think, here. There's broad comedy. It's almost sitcom-like when you meet the mechanicals at the pub. There's sort of horror stuff going on with cobweb running through the woods. It's darkly dramatic in all sorts of ways. And I think, you know, the score... 
I can't imagine it now without that score. It's so. actually like a 90 yeah. minute song, I think. Ooh. I think it's yeah. truly yeah. extraordinary. And I yeah. love Marion Owens' work. It's, it's, it's 90 minutes. You can listen to it as a complete mm. symphony. It's amazing. I also got to say, by the way, do watch it at home because the picture at home. It, this is not meant to be projected like this. This is quite dark, this projection. It's glowing with colour. Yeah. Watch it on yeah, your tellies at home. And you're just kind of squinting at this slightly, just because it's not meant to be this way. There's no luminosity, was there? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, glowing yeah. if you're watching it on your It's brilliant. But Russell said at the start, it's, it's modern, it's young, it's funny. It, it's for a new generation, isn't it? It's for, for yes, well, they always are. for everybody. Yes, it's like, you know, in fairness, there's a theatre in Skegness at the moment putting on A Midsummer Night's Dream, and they're doing their new one. They said these things just keep rolling on. You know, we just, it's like being part of a great tradition. We happen to be, there'll be another one in 20 years' time. I think 10 years ago, Pete Bowker, that lovely writer, did one that was like a sort of rewrite of A Midsummer Night's Dream that used not the original language. That was only 10 years ago on BBC One. Um, there'll be another one in 10 years' time, so it's, it's great to be part of this tradition. None of this is definitive, that's what I love about it. Although, frankly, it should be, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, come on. Um, but, you know, it's, it's lovely to be part of that. Brilliant. Okay, thanks. Let's, let's take some questions from the floor, then. Who'd, who'd like to go first? Come on, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Yeah, good. Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, um, I thought I thought I thought it was wonderful. I have to admit, there's a part of my fanboy soul that is a little bit nervous about the idea of fits in Shakespeare. I mean, no, no, no. Can I can I ask you how how did you feel about? Changing one of Shakespeare's endings, and no, as, as a writer, uh, this isn't this isn't a criticism. I hasten oh, to add. I'm just curious yeah, as a yeah, fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, bless you. And um, you know, and some people like it, some people don't. I felt joyous about it. I think um, these things are meant to change. It's like you know that play of Pyramus and Thisbe that's put on there that the Mechanicals do at the end. That is an ancient tragedy. That's actually the origin of Romeo and Juliet. Comes from Romeo and Juliet itself comes from the story of Pyramus and Thisbe. Shakespeare took hold of something he'd already done as, as Romeo and Juliet, and he and he sat down with this. He thought, I'll tell it's a farce. Pyramus and Thisbe in this is a farce, and actually now, 400 years later, it's only remembered as a farce because that's how unafraid he was to take an ancient text and to chuck it up in the air to make something brand new out of it because that's what everyone does that's what every story ever does and if you're scared of that then you shouldn't be writing in the first place of course with any job there comes a lot of fear you want to you, you absolutely want to get it right or, you're or there's no right or wrong but you want to take it somewhere new but that's what these things are interestingly if you look at hippolyta in this hippolyta at the end grows wings and and and, and sprouts and has magical powers that's the original hippolyta before shakespeare came along shakespeare made her a bride of the amazons and she marries theseus and that's it the original hippolyta is the daughter of Ares, the God of War and has a magical girdle. I wish I had a magical girdle. <laughs> <laughs> I have got a magical girdle, you meant to say. <laughs> so actually, if you want to talk about changing text and renewing text and ancient text, that's an ancient text coming back to life there in that version of Hippolyta. So that's what's meant to happen. That's what will happen no matter what anyone says. And I appreciate that you know, you're sort of wrestling with it and 
and you know, watch it again. I think you'll come to terms with it. But you know, that's absolutely fine. What well, could be better than having to wrestle with a Shakespearean text? You should have problems with it. You should have doubts about it. You should prefer other versions. You should think of a better version yourself. That's a script that's completely alive. So, well done. Think I was ready for that answer? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sessie, it's Sessie <laughs> on the microphone. Hooray! Come on. I, I just, I, I, can, I, I can barely speak. I'm so a bit tearful, I'm afraid. Oh. But it's been the most wonderful experience. And my feeling is that the spirit of Shakespeare is here, here in this room here. If Shakespeare had had all the wonderful um, special effects and all the wonderful things that you have at your fingertips, this would have been his dream, wouldn't it? And um, when, when age 11, you, we did our dream. It was, it was a knockout one at the time, wasn't it? It was not the way that other people had done it in the past. No. We broke all bounds, didn't we? Yeah, we did it in a school gym. You know, yeah. throwing ourselves <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we did. And, and so everyone was leaping about and jumping about on the bars. And, 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 and it was yeah, just, it was and all those, all the, the we had, Boys, we didn't call them fairies in case, <laughs> but we had a big cast of all these boys as spirits, we called them, and mar or doing wonderful things, and it yeah. was all ex so exciting. So much of it was, even at that age, your genius was showing through. I shouldn't, I, I, well, there we are, it was. Get going, leave the microphone. But, I, I, think, <laughs> but I, I just want to say that that's what it's all, you've just said it, that oh, this is what, this is the magic of Shakespeare. Yeah. That uh, what, for every age, for every decade, everything—it's wonderful. And and I think uh, I think if I, I feel very strongly, I feel very strongly that he is here putting his blessing oh. on this wonderful production. Oh, thank you. There was another hand up there. First, uh, a brief comment. The best Shakespeare ever. Oh. <laughs> what a hoot. <laughs> Question. How did you come up with that brilliant idea of killing off the Duke and making Hippolyta free? Yes. Such it, a brilliant yes. idea. It, well, it's once you establish it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because once you establish him as a di dictator, which is completely, I will plead with my sword, she is a prisoner of war. That's com and also, in the first scene, he, he sentences Hermia to death. Um, it's interesting, the only person there's no solution for in this play is Aegeus, her father. He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't appear in the last scene because I couldn't think of a way to deal with that at all. Uh, and neither does the play, actually. He just completely disappears. Um, uh, so... Yes, it's, 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 it, it, that was the central problem. Once you set up a dictator, how do you then get rid of it? You can't just change his mind at the end. And it, the nice thing is, what I loved about this play is you introduce something new into it. And I'm not the first person ever to do this with Theseus, but from my point of view, it felt new and exciting. You introduce something new into it, and then what I loved about it was that you let the play take care of it. The play solves the problems. The mechanicals are so funny they give him a heart attack. They kill him with comedy, because the one thing a dictator can't stand is comedy, and is humour, is laughing. And then, and on top of that, that's not quite enough, but the reason why Theseus is a problem in this play is that, is that he explicitly has that brilliant speech where he says the supernatural does not exist. How easy is a bush supposed to bear? It's a very wise speech. In life is very true. In this play, the central character, the king of Athens, is completely wrong. The fairies can clearly exist. The supernatural exists. So you see what I mean? He has to be got rid of. He's wrong. 
He's literally wrong. And so once you kind of say, right, well, laughter gives him a heart attack, and then actually seeing the fairies, seeing proof of the supernatural coming into his court, as they do in the original play, um, that, is, that is the thing that kills him, because he can't exist in this world anymore. They, they are, and then everyone is set free. That's that sexual freedom and that gender freedom and, that, and that, the, the, the straight freedom as well, the joy of it comes from that death. It liberates everything. So I think it's a genuinely honest and viable new version of what happens to Theseus because everything spins around it. it makes and juxtaposing sense. it with, um, with flute speech and yes. making that, you know, making that you take kind of really speech. genuine. And that which is often quite it's funny, beautiful. flute speech, but you yeah, sort of yeah, say, yeah. actually, in the middle of this dying, now am I dead, Bottom is saying. It's, like, it's, it's all steeped in death. And once you realise that Pyramus and Thisbe actually inspired Romeo and Juliet, like I was saying, so actually at the heart mm. of that, there's something very serious going on in that play. You can choose not to just laugh at the mechanicals. I also think, technically, you get a lot of stage versions of this. God, that play can go on at the end and be very unfunny. You've actually got to do something. It's like, I think, I think that, actually, I think Pyramus and Thisbe very often works on stage because you let your hair down and you'll have a great comedian doing great stuff. It, you watch film versions of this and it's, it goes on and on it's often unfunny the mechanical is being funny at the end so theseus allows you to have a story there's actually a story going on during the purpose of this, which is that he's condemning them to death so again you've got a spine it's not just morris dancing nonsense you know it's it's, it's there's something very serious going on so you've got to get rid of him it's, his death is just demanded by every change you're making and then literally the play takes care of itself that's what i loved about it when i realized that would happen then i absolutely believed it was doable Thanks. Um, so, in a in an adaptation where you felt that you were you were compelled to make this change to the character of the duke because the the duke's relationship to um, his his wife and and how they were they were brought together in a way that that to you seemed unnatural and didn't work in the play. How do you feel about the presentation in A Midsummer Night's Dream of these characters who have their um, their love and their passion? mended by an exterior force that comes in and tells, this is not the person that you should love, you should love this person, boom, changed. Mm. Uh, that's, but, that, but that's the middle of the play. That's what I love about the middle of the play, is that a mere drop of potion from a flower can change who you love. And um, that's why this is, this is not one of great Shakespeare's great romances, because love is flower thin in this play. It changes with a single drop. But at the end, and that's why part of what Dave was talking about in that dance, actually what happens there is that the spell is taken off Demetrius. That doesn't happen on stage sometimes. I, I don't know, but I probably didn't invent that. The pug takes the spell off Demetrius, so he genuinely loves Helena. And uh, so there, and, and uh, Oberon and Titania have stopped warring, so Titania can be with Hippolyta, which you're told about in the very first scene when they come together. He says, knowing I know that I love for Hippolyta, so that's been there right from the start. So um, I think, yes, I think everything's solved. I think um, the, the superficiality of the japes, when love is swapping all over the place, are replaced by genuine love at the end. That's why the fairies are free at the end. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Okay, there's one in the second row here, please. End of the second row. It's very literary, isn't it? Oh. Um, from the idea that you really originally had before you before it became a piece, how, how did it develop? Did it um, did it change much as as the as the piece progressed, or was this exactly how you imagined it at the very start? It was. It was, yeah, this is exactly how I imagined at the start, better, if anything, because then along come all these, these people, and um, it's amazing, you know, with Kate, you know, you sort of think, 
about casting Kate, it's like you think Helena's famously tall. And you sort of go, where? How tall? I mean, should we get like someone who's five foot eight? Yeah. Is that tall? And you are tall. <laughs> you are tall. And it's like, you know, if you went into audition, you must, you must go into audition thinking, if I don't fucking get this. <laughs> I can't get the famously tall woman. Yeah. My, my that or the BFG. I know. Oh, talk about yourselves, I've fallen off. Oh, um, so, um, <laughs> no, um, you know, you, it's a team that we trust, all trusted. We've all worked together before. It's a team that actually, it's delightful to have men here as, as chair of the house because Mena was part of setting up our entire drama department for Doctor Who. It's now become the studio at Rothlock. And I don't mean that just nicely. It's like the BBC costs, mm. even an office costs money at the BBC. And Mena, in 2004, when we were setting up Doctor Who, slashed our costs constantly. And in, you did extraordinary work to make us get on air. And look what you've done. Mm. All right. That's mm. true. That's, that's really sweet of you, mm. but we all know that it's you and the team. Um, that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, who'd, who'd like to ask the next question, please? Hello, I'm, I'm Lucy. Yes, <laughs> we have. Um, I'm an animation and story artist, uh, and I'm from Leicester. Congratulations. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so great to be here with all of you, um, and um, I enjoyed it immensely. It was, I mean, I need to watch it again to fully, fully absorb it, um, but, it but it is fantastic. And uh, sorry, I didn't get your name. Kate. Kate. Hi, Kate. Uh, you're adorable. I mean, <laughs> you, you're fabulous. I mean, you were just fabulous and such a discovery for me. Oh, such is. a discovery. And um, and the production design, amazing. And Michael Pickwood yes. over there, yes. everybody. Uh, production designer in the audience. And Daft as well. Yes. And Daft, yes. Yes. Top team. <laughs> and the ending uh, with the score uh, made, just made me want to dance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my question is... Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I, I would actually have three, well, I've actually two questions, um, but I think I'll go with this one. Yeah. When adapting a play or creating something original or combining the two, how do you prioritise and compartmentalise your writing and producing duties? In fact, all of your duties, that could be for all of you. Yeah, in terms of writing, I don't. I, I, um, I, uh, I, I just write it very freely and hand in a very expensive script. That then they have to <laughs> <laughs> down into, and it was this was very it was gen you know there was there's you, BBC now does not have money to spare this was genuinely short of money, and what Mickey and the team did was just extraordinary and so I don't I hope I don't compartmentalise it because I go for it. Yeah, it was a hugely ambitious script, um, but you know it was it was just a joy being able to kind of meet that challenge and um, yeah get as much as much of the budget as we could onto screen, which was yeah that was great. <laughs> We have come to the end of our time. Um, thank you so much, uh, David, Nikki, Kate, and of course, Russell. Um, it's a huge pleasure for me to be reunited with you, yeah. Nikki, and the team. It really is. And thank you so much for asking me to come this evening. I've had a great time. And it's a fantastic, fantastic film. So thank you very much indeed. And thank you all too. And enjoy it. it we'll be told eventually when it's on. Yeah. Um, but it will be on this month. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Good evening. <laughs>